We are under the microscope. Uh, 25 minutes it is before 9 p.m. You tuned into Metro FM Talk with me, Ayabonga Tawe. And uh, we place under the microscope this evening the politics of language. And uh, we uh, take a look at uh, what role language plays in marginalizing and othering uh, certain groups and communities and what role in particular it's played here in South Africa in the incidences of Afrophobia that we've seen. And uh, you might be asking ourselves, Tennessee Afrophobia, well... It isn't xenophobia because Ababandu, Sibaho, Hisayo, Sibangu, Tegisayo are not foreigners. Uh, there's, there's no black person who's a foreigner in Africa. I mean, let's establish that. Before we even start our conversation. But that being said, uh, we're taking a look at, uh, more importantly, uh, what uh, forms of language and uh, what material impact they have on how we engage, interact, and uh, uh, deal with each other. And uh, I'm joined by a lecturer and PhD student at the University of Cape Town, Ivan Matsere, and uh, who's done extensive work uh, in this area. And he says, while language has the capacity to engender great pride, it uh, too often also does the dirty work of boundary creation and maintenance. Ivan, good evening to you. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, man. When you say language does the work of boundary creation and maintenance. Yes. Uh, yeah, land. Yeah, land. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what, what exactly do you mean? And let's maybe contextualize it here for a second. Yeah. So um, I'll need to take a step back before yeah, yeah. Uh, for us to get uh, a great picture of the of the context. Okay. So the first thing that language does is uh, to help us to communicate, right? Mm. Which is uh, the obvious part of language. Yes. But there's also uh, part of uh, what we use language, which is uh, in identifying ourselves and uh, identifying someone else. Mm. Fair and fine. This is very. Uh, this is a very. This is a survival strategy that we use and in that what I mean is that uh, we use language in helping um, identify ourselves and mm. by identifying ourselves we have located ourselves within society and social spaces sure. this actually helps us navigate social spaces mm. right so once you've identified yourself this is actually uh, I, I need to mention that this is actually a natural and implicit process right mm. so there's nothing wrong that is happening um, with language yet so you identify yourself probably as a speaker of a, of a foreign of a, of a certain language mm. and um, you are associate yourself with connotations of that group right mm. but implicitly in that moment as well what happens is that uh without uh being conscious being conscious of it in some in in most moments you you ha- you are not aware of the fact that you have created an other mm. right so you have uh you identify yourself maybe as zulu as shona or any other language right but there are other people who don't form who don't speak that language right mm. so um, there is an in group and an out group right so there is them versus us Still fair and fine. But now the problem comes, and uh, where my fascination is, is what happens with... Uh, we all have attitudes, we all have stereotypes, mm. and we all have, um, we all have um, prejudices that we have, mm. right? But now they are not actions yet, but we get to... Uh, they, they get to be an act when, when, when they are discrimination, which is mm. now um, Afrophobia, right? You asked the question with regards to uh, language... Uh, playing the the dirty work of boundary maintenance, yeah, right? yeah, and so creation, the, yeah. Mm. So an example that I gave is um, using the word hello, right? As much as uh, using the word hello is for us to greet each other and communicate. In most cases, and in some cases specifically to South Africa, when um, uh, that uh, that greeting, especially in local language, is being mobilized to place uh, to place oneself uh, mm. in society and to identify where the other person is coming from. Now this is when we uh, now if they if they come from our group right if they mm. are part of our in group right we accept them, 
But now in South Africa, it seems as if if they don't come from the same group and if they are black and their body and their blackness doesn't perform in the way that we expect or they don't speak the language that we expect, that is now punishable. Mm. You know, you know, when you say that, it reminds me of uh, uh, three incidences and maybe mm. I'll mention two of them. Uh, in 2008, there was a big case uh, of, you know, how uh, people would be identified. So, yep. so that, you know, someone would ask you in Isizulu what, you know, your elbow is or yep. whatever. And if you pronounced it in a certain kind of way, there would be untold and untold violence visited upon you. Similarly, during the days of Inkata and, uh, uh, you know, the ANC, if, if you responded to a certain thing in a certain a language which was either associated with Isikosa or Isuzulu, mm. you f- found yourself on another side of a political divide, irrespective of whether you are a political person. Now, if, if I look at those two incidences, and even mm. an incident, uh, you know, I once had in Johannesburg of a taxi being stopped and, you know, they were looking for foreigners inside of the taxi. I, I mean, the police in that case were looking for people who didn't have papers. Um, and how they picked them out was actually through what you're saying. Mm. You know, how you pronounce certain words, how you articulate yourself. And it does, as you say, create this kind of othering and uh, the creation and establishment and maintenance mm. of boundaries. Mm. Yeah. So it also happens in that way, right? Uh, so in that moment, uh, language is used to identify who belongs and who does not belong mm. in, a, in a certain space, right? So if you don't belong in a certain space, uh, there could be things that could happen to you that are detrimental to you. Mm. And it is happening in formal and uh, also in formal places. In, in informal places mm. where you find people like uh, the police actually uh, greeting you in a language to identify where you are from. And if you do not belong in that space, so to speak, or if you are not identified as, as, as a citizen of, uh, of South Africa, mm. you are then, um, then that's when uh, this happens. Mm. But funny mm. thing that happens is the fact that this usually, this, in most cases, it happens uh, the darker your skin is. No, Chief, right. it doesn't happen to white people. It you doesn't know? happen you know, to white people. They speak French here and they speak English with a thick French accent. They, they become like a marvel or this curiosity. Yes. Uh, and uh, when it's black people, it's like, ah, ah, humble. Yes. You know? So you see, even that language, uh, another way of, uh, besides communicative language, that language in terms of descriptions uh, where we call peop- everyone who we assume has come through the border or has flooded South Africa through the borders. We call them foreigners, right? So mm. they have the connotations of foreigners. The darker you are, the more you have the connotations of foreigners. But it's almost as if um, they, they, they have connotations of not being welcome to South Africa. Mm. But if we change the, the skin color and it's sure. the, the lighter someone is, the more welcome they are, not mm. only in social spaces, but also in, um, in political and, um, in public life, and the yeah. media and public life as well. Okay, let's pause there for a second, mm. Ivan. I need to take a spot break. But when we come back, I want us to continue on this uh, issue of the lighter you are in the spectrum, the more welcome you are. We are indeed under the microscope this evening, taking a look at the politics of language. And I'm joined by uh, a UCT lecturer and PhD student, Ivan Matsere. And we're talking about the politics of language, uh, the function of othering and uh, the role of language in the creation of boundaries and distinctions, uh, whether real or perceived, between people and uh, what that necessarily means uh, in our context. Now, Ivan, you, you were talking earlier on about this color spectrum and, and the lighter you are in that spectrum, uh, the, uh, I guess, more welcome you are in the South African context. One would think that that's an outcome of our history. But, you know, from what you're saying, uh, it must be, you know, it's quite jarring for me that our own languages, which we defend with, you know, our lives because we think it's such an important part of our heritage, also play the function uh, of doing 
you know, or going much further in the colonial mission than what any other colonizer would have been able to do. Mm. So um, it's it's interesting that you say that, and I really um, agree with you in that regard. So uh, in one of the papers that I wrote, mm. I, I spoke about how uh, colon- colonialism uh, was very successful in South Africa, right? Mm. And what I mean by that is something that Steve Biko has, has also spoken about and what Fanon has also spoken about in the sense that... Um, the success of it, so uh, if we think of racism as a structure, right? Mm. It's a structure that is meant to keep um, the to keep races divided and keep sure. another race at the fringes of society, right? But now what happened is that it still seems as if in South Africa, racism as a system pervaded to the point that as black people, we managed to internalize it. Mm. And we now hate everything that's blackness that that's black or anything that is represented by blackness right and we hate ourselves so much man. a lot mm. of this conversation has been happening not only in south africa but also in the world with regards mm. to colorism and anything that um represents that but it seems as if in in, in south africa uh after after apartheid there was no readdress of um of any social ills that that happened that were brought about by by apartheid mm. so it seems as if there is now this perception of um of competition, which makes any outgroup in that space uh, easy, easy people to attack, right? Mm. And it seems as if anything that's blackness, and it's it, it it I need to specify this. It does not only start with uh, with uh, foreigners, so to speak, or African foreigners, so to speak. If you look at South African even societies, tribal, dude. even yeah. tribal. So if you look at South African societies, mm. there is um, there is a language that that is used um, like uh, to to punish any black body that is not performing with blackness or any black body that performs in uh, with with any connotations of whiteness. Mm. So what, if what you, language is that? What, so that? if you look at words like uh, coconut, okay. right? For the col- for the colored community, boy. also mm. cheese boy. There's um there's uh, banana types, right? What's banana and types now? Like yellow outside but white on the inside. What? Right? Yeah, Trevor Noah told me. Hey that. man, I didn't know that. Okay, okay. <laughs> I heard that from Trevor Noah. <laughs> but um, but uh, if you look at these these t- these terms, the connotations that are with these terms are the fact that um uh. You are not performing to the identity that we expect you to perform at, mm. and it seems as if um, that that uh, that is attached to a sense of pride with 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 uh, with being black. Mm. But any body does not that does not perform to uh, the way any black body that does not perform to a way that we dictate that it performs. Mm. We punish. It's a, it's a very restrictive blackness, right? I mean, my understanding of you know blackness not just as an issue of cosmetic pigmentation yeah. but blackness as a as a political outlook a political identity is that it it's not restrictive in the kind of manner that you know many narrow chauvinists if i can put it that way mm. expect people to be right so so if you're black you're expected to tick certain boxes and and in reality i mean uh, uh, the root cause of blackness even in black consciousness yeah. is this ability to be able uh, to choose whatever it is you know existentially to do whatever it is that you want to do yeah. Um, in you know becoming the person that you are, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and and I think you're correct in saying that it seems like there's this template, and when you step outside of this particular template, um, then you know there's there's all manner of scrutiny and uh, unfair uh, attention that is leveled to you. But what you're suggesting is that, that it goes even further than that; it can even be met with violence. 
Yeah, so it it goes even further than that, uh, where it is actually met with violence. That's where uh, when you're talking about that history, and I think that's where that's where the link is uh, mm. for me, because it seems as if the same template that was created by colonialism in South Africa is, still exists right now mm. in terms of inequality, in terms of access, and all those other factors. So it seems as if uh, the issue of citizenship in South Africa is very elusive, right? Mm. Because citizenship comes with a lot of rights that people must have as citizens of South Africa, but it seems as if um, the South African people, especially uh, black South Africans, do not have these uh, uh, rights uh, as citizens or do not have the same access. So citizen, citizen, citizenship in that regard is very elusive for them. And then um, also, the in a sense, it seems as if um, people from other countries mm. to them come and they have this taste of citizenship that they never have or they were promised but they never got to taste. Ivan, we need to pause here and I want you to restate that because I think <laughs> for me, no, no, no. I mean, it's such a revealing thing that you're saying because mm. you are saying to, we often have the debate in South Africa and I say, you know, if you have just a green barcoded ID, I mean, does that really make you a citizen when you have no claim, right? To yep. the rights you're talking about, material or otherwise. And what you are suggesting is that because those rights are elusive, we can't hold it. Whenever somebody else comes or out of our own frustration, yep. we vented out on the person who we think is coming to take our piece of those rights or of that citizenship. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating notion for me because it then explains why, uh, from, from a citizenship perspective, we can attack the Somali trader because they happen to be in close proximity to us and leave an Eastern European and not refer to them maybe as a foreigner. Yeah, so it's uh, it's interesting in a way that you say it as well because uh, it seems as if uh, proximity plays uh, a huge role, right? Mm. Because there is this uh, perception of scarcity that's been created in terms of resources. That's why these uh, xenophobic attacks, uh, as wrongly named, uh, as mm. I said, uh, Afrophobic attacks, happen within uh, townships because in townships there's scarcity of resources there's a perception of scarcity of resources in the sense that mm. um we say we say the um there is there is not enough land in South Africa for example but people are squ- uh, they are squatted in a, in a small piece of land mm. right whereas if they were spread like people could have um could have uh, land distributed e- equally for example right so in that area there is a, p- a perception of the scarcity of resources mm. land jobs and everything and the person that you see that is uh, closest to you um reas- realistic conflict theory talks th- talks more about this that if there is a scarcity of resources right the person who's perceived as the outgroup that we spoke about before mm. is the person who's attacked so this perception that um that was created by colonialism where people were put into land into into small pieces of land mm. is now pervading um as Afrophobia because the, the people that are close to them the people that they see taking this promise that they were promised in terms of uh in terms of um this elusive citizenship and the mm. rights of being a citizen are are the the African brothers who sure. stay close to them and they can be attacked easily it's like crabs in a bucket it is like you know putting us in small confined spaces and saying that being said i'd love to hear from you as well give me a ring on zero eight i'm in conversation with the uh, phd student and lecturer at uct ivan matsera we're talking about the politics of a language and the divisive function that a language plays uh, in our own uh, contemporary political context i'd love to hear from you 
uh, give us a ring on 089-110-3377. Let's take this break. On the other side, I, we continue with Ivan. Six minutes it is before 9 p.m. And uh, I'm in conversation with uh, Ivan Katsere. He's a, a PhD student at UCT and also a lecturer. And uh, I guess for the last 15 minutes has allowed me to butcher his surname without telling me that instead of an M, it's a K. Ivan, why? We jump straight into things. We're talking about language today, Brian. This guy's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> call me whatever you want to call me. Decide. Call me whatever you want to call me. Talking about what we call people. You make an interesting distinction between uh, this whole notion of Ama Zimbabwe vis-a-vis maybe Ama Zimbabwean. Mm. Why does that matter? The reason why it matters because is because that's where um, all the, re- the violence rests. Mm. Right? What I mean by this is that... Um, when you look at at a person, right, mm. uh, there's a sense of you that uh, relates that um, I as another human being, yes. and there are things that I cannot do to a human being, right? But for us to be able to violate someone, they need to be, uh, we need to be desensitized to them as human beings, mm. right? We have noticed this in, Iru- in Rwanda, right, in the Rwandan genocide. People were killed because they were referred to as cockroaches, yes. right? So when you refer to someone as a cockroach, you de- you um detach the you detach the humaneness mm. from them but right? you also legitimize their destruction exactly yeah. so you so you de- by dehumanizing them you also uh you also justify the treatment that you have because mm. if a cockroach comes into your house what's what do, what do you do you step on it right so in the same way language is is being mobilized to actually justify that and in the same way in south africa we see uh, connotations of um of uh amakwere kwere which mm. is uh which is if you look at it it's a word that is used to uh to say people who sound like animals mm. right uh we also have uh amagunduani right mm. uh and if if you view someone as a red right what do you do to a red Right. Mm. What do you do to an animal? You know, so that also plays a role in actually uh, in actually uh, fueling the violence in the mm. sense that once you view the, that person as a non-human, it every uh, treatment that you give to that person is actually justified in a way. So that's why it it plays a role in desensitizing us um, in this way. One word that I, I actually wrote about that is mm. very uh, fascinating in that regard um, is is Africa, right? So there is a sense of pride that is attached to um, to being African, mm. but it is different from the word Africa. So African and Africa are two different words, right? So if you look at Africa and people who are called Africa, mm. they are thought of as people who come from a, a place uh, with the connotations and the stereotypes that we usually see in American movies. Where you we know, <laughs> it's so weird that you say this. Like in South Africa, you will hear people saying, Asbafuna bandu base Africa. Exactly. And then I sit there and I'm like, where are you from? Because there's already this notion and idea that, yes, I might be referred to in the population register as an African in South Africa. But I don't see myself as an African from a continental perspective. So people will say, hey, we are Yambi, Africa. We are Zulu, Africa. And I'm like, but where on God's earth do you think you are? So it detaches South Africa from Africa or mm. African spaces and also ties in with the language that we use to uh, actually describe someone who is a foreigner, right? So someone who's, who's a foreigner is from Africa, mm. right? So it almost seems as if South Africa is this place that is detached from Africa and people in South Africa are not animals. It's so the province speak. of Europe. Yes. Mm. So we, so <laughs> so it, it, it almost as if mm. uh, when the Americans uh, and other people from other countries view us as the people who chill with lions and mm. uh, at the end of the day we... we 
wrap up the day under a tree. Mm, share it's your almost lunchbox as, with a giraffe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. So it's almost as if um, that is the perception that South Africans has of of uh, South Africans have of people from um, from other African countries, mm. but. When we just call someone African and laugh about it, we just walk away and, and it seems like um it seems like it, it was just a joke. But now what it does is that um remember I said when someone has an attitude, we all have stereotypes, we all have prejudices, mm. right? These are just uh feelings at best, right? And uh and, and attitude and cognitions that you have. But this actually makes the connection now. It's almost that switch that changes uh, from being a prejudice mm. to the act of discrimination, which is Afrophobia, because now they have lost their value as a human. Every treatment that you give them as an unhuman is almost justified. Hmm. A last question on my end. Uh, unfortunately, we have run out of time. Um, and I guess it relates to, to how we can also use language for its own... How do I say it? Reclaim... It's power to reclaim, right? Our yep. own humanity. Because yep. if I say to you, I am going to use words to rid or to deny you your humanity, I've lost mine already, mm-hmm. right? Um, how do we use the re- reclamatory force of words, mm-hmm. of language? How, 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 do we, how do we get there? Yeah. So language and words, and this is what uh, sparking conversation also does. Mm. You know? I think um, these attitudes and stereotypes which led to prejudices and, as a result, actions of Afrophobia didn't happen in one day. We're not sparked in one mm. day. There's a history that we are talking about in terms of colonialism and structures like racism, which actually inform it and actually, in a way, validate it. But um, also, conversations need to be sparked, and there's a relearning that needs to be happened mm. because as much as you can learn to have an attitude, there's also a relearning that, ha- that can happen in terms of, um, in, in terms of uh, actually taking away that attitude mm. or that prejudice. Yeah. But it also needs to start happening, conversations needs to start happening in terms of so- uh, social spaces, formal spaces, informal spaces. Mm. Um, and because the shocking thing is uh, when I did my research and um, I was talking to children who were uh, in primary school and some of them in high school, it is so pervasive that those languages and those, uh, those uh, connotations that are used in social spaces are in in schools as well and some children are not even are even afraid to identify themselves as zimbabweans as mm, malawians mm, mm, one of mm. the students actually told me that uh, when he saw a, a zimbabwean student come to to his class he immediately ran to him and actually made him uh made it made it sensitized uh, him to sensitized say, hey. him you say don't speak shona don't identify mm. yourself as if they ask you something ask me to speak because they could speak that language you know and they start mm. to broker not only they start to tra- broker which is to translate for their friends and also their families you know so that re-education is a, is a is a is a huge work but conversations mm. need to start and they need to start from schools from formal spaces in sure. formal spaces the media and also in political situations mm. i think we all have a role to play ivan thank you so much man and uh, you touch on something so important that even us here as the media have a responsibility yeah. um and uh, i often say on this on this platform that you know, we all want people. These borders we never drew. Somebody drew these borders on our own behalf. And uh, the same people who continue to control our own geopolitical destiny yeah. continue to benefit from those borders. And we defend them with our lives, mm-hmm. uh, w- unwittingly so. Um, and I really appreciate you coming here and sharing 
fascinating insights from your own research work. All the best as you continue uh, to uh, bring to finality your, your PhD. And thank you, man, for coming through this evening. Thank you so much for having me. Ivan. Awesome. That there was Ivan Katsera. He's a lecturer at the University of Cape Town and a PhD a student at uh, UCT as well, uh, speaking to us about uh, the politics of language and uh, the divisive functions it can play. And as always, Lishkaluteta Okokoko Apa of saying, Lemita, because and uh, in that regard i must say to ivan uh, thank you so much for opening up our eyes in that way uh, as uh, many people would say in uh, shona uh, thank you very much that there is the end of the show for us you have yourself a great evening take strength my africa banga the economy